Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this new day. Thank you for each of these people who are here to learn. And Lord, we pray that uh, the information we share will be encouraging and inspiring and that you will send your spirit to convict and guide and um, direct these individuals into your plan for them. And we thank you for doing this in Jesus' name, amen. Just wanna say last year, the Pearlies shared in our seminar too. And I'm looking forward to seeing what difference has happened on their farm in a year. The other thing that I wanna say is that, you know, it's not all bad to be without your notes. <laughs> you know, you just have to lean on the Lord that you'll remember and he'll, you know, so I may say things that I didn't plan to say. So God is good. Um, through, despite technological foibles. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna give very much in brief um, just a little bit of our family's history. John and I spent six years in Kenya where we taught missionaries' children at Maxwell Adventist Academy. And from there, how we got to farming is amazing. I don't know how God did it, but he did. And um, we just finished our, our full testimony, and you can buy the book at our booth where we really share all that God took us through and brought us to where we are today. So it's, this, is, this is when we moved to the farm. John's parents, in their retirement, bought 190 acres, and we thought they were crazy. We were in Africa. The family was spread everywhere. We thought, what are they doing? But God knew, and he planned it. And we moved there um, in the spring of 1995. And in the fall of 1998, we launched Bountiful Blessings Farm. And we started as a strawberry production. We somehow had the idea, this just tells how green we were. We had the idea that we would earn our whole living from one crop in the spring being strawberries. Um, it, it worked perfectly on paper, <laughs> but it was quite a disaster. Um, we planted 18,000 plants that year. We got them from this, the tip stage, so we propagated them, and then we planted them out in the field. And this is our work crew. John and I, Kirsten was six, Jonathan was five, and Joshua was two and a half. And it's not that we didn't have any other help, but we did the bulk of everything. It took us a full week to plant. So that was where we began. So that's, that's just another view of that field. It was 30, 30 rows that were 300 feet long. And if we could zoom up there, you would see those three little dots are Kirsten and Jonathan and myself. And I'll tell you, it was totally overwhelming for this. I wouldn't call myself a city girl, but I had no experience with this kind of gardening. I mean, I had been a gardener. I grew up gardening with my parents, but this was just totally beyond what we had ever dreamed. So I would say this about our beginning. It was two things. It was extremely hard and it was extremely humble. We just started with nothing, just nothing. 
and um, except the land. My father-in-law had a tractor and God ordained that a family member gave us a few implements for our tractor. And that's kind of where we started. And I won't tell you the 10 years that followed this year were full of mountaintops and very deep valleys. Um, but we wouldn't trade them for anything. It was the richest experience for our family to go through. So this is our family today, and I'd like to introduce them if they're here. I, do you, why don't you boys just come up because you're going you're gonna to be on next anyway. Is Caleb here? Sure he is. So I can introduce them from the picture. If <laughs> I live in a house full of men, and I love it. <laughs> so these are our men. First, you met John. This is our oldest, Jonathan. Yes, I've got one more man, my fifth son. <laughs> and I have one that's not with us today. So Jonathan, you'll hear more from those of you who stopped by his greenhouse. He is the owner and operator of Farmer's Friend, which is developing and manufacturing small tools for farmers. And so we are so pleased to have him on the corner of the farm. And next, I'll just introduce you this time. You can introduce it. This is Joshua. He's the main farmer in the bunch. He is farming our winter seasons. And John and I um, mainly handle the summer, but he is doing um, the winter growing with the apprentices. He helps us in the summer too. We couldn't do it without him. Next is Zach, and he is in the picture there, the blonde one between Joshua and behind Kirsten. Zach is in, at Kibidula Farms in Tanzania right now, serving for five months. He's working on the avocado plantation and doing whatever is needed to be done. Um, next is Caleb. Caleb is 13. He's our woodworker. You can stop by our booth and you can see the, the handcrafted things that the whistling woodworker does. And last but not least is our only girl, Kirsten. And we married her off to a fine young man, Nick Connect, almost two years ago coming up on two years, and they are involved. They help us with the marketing end. Kirsten um, mainly manages our social media uh, with Nick's help, and then they do, when they are on the farm, they, they help with one of our farmer's markets. And so um, that is our, our current team. Thank you so much. I'll just sit here. So let me show you uh, that, hey guys, Joshua, you might as well stay up here because you're on next with dad and Jonathan. All right, so this is the farm today. And it, um, we live in the red barn, <laughs> in a small part of the red barn. And we have grown from being a one crop farm to running a CSA, which you'll hear more about the CSA, 10 months of the year. So we start the CSA the first week of April and we run it, and, and next week, uh, the first week of February, um, Joshua will end the winter CSA, although he, he might still have some things to sell through the, 
through the month of February. Um, we do farmers markets. We do, we have a small online market. We sell to some restaurants and we sell to some stores. So it's just a much, we don't do anything in a grand way. Like our CSA is 80 members. Um, we'd, like to ha we'd like to get it up to 100. Um, but I mean, there are CSAs that have hundreds. So we aim to keep it small and we'll talk a lot more about the CSA. That's the heart of what we do. Um, so that's a little bit of where we are at. We have, I'll just tell you about our structures. We have four movable hoop houses, which you see here. Um, at the, ver the one very closest to the barn is our seed house. It's the only heated structure that we have. And then there are four movable hoop houses that we have three positions that we can move them into. And then beyond, then there are 10 small pads. And I'm sure John will talk about this more, but we've gone to smaller plots as compared to, we used to have an acre and a half of just a huge acre and a half. We've cut it down into small plots, which has just helped us in many ways. And then beyond those 10 plots, we have three um, 30 by 100 foot hoop houses that are stationary structures. So that's a little bit of, of our farm. And I just want to say that, you know, as we present today, um, we just pray that everything that we share and everything that we do will be for God's glory. And that's what we want our farm to be. We want it to be a testimony to his faithfulness and his goodness. And um, so as we share today, I hope that that will be foremost, that we want God to be glorified. Okay, uh, question about question and answers. Um, we we are the the last session we hope will there'll be time for question and answers and then we we will probably have time for just a few in between did you have you had a question on something that has already been shared we can take one quick okay and I, I'm going to just repeat the questions for audio verses sake. But the question is about movable hoop houses. She hadn't heard about that. Um, I would just tell you, Elliot Coleman is the one who kind of pioneered the movable hoop houses. And there are certain advantages to them. Um, there are disadvantages too. So we actually have four movable and four stationary right now. Um, just quickly, the, I would say the main advantage for movable is you're able to use your space more efficiently. And that is a nice advantage. You can have warm weather crops into November and then have your cool weather stuff planted outside and then move it over that and then do the reverse in the spring, which is very nice. And then the other main thing for movable hoop houses is it's, it's theoretically will keep the soil healthier because you're, you know, a, an enclosed environment is unnatural. And so you can have pests and diseases build up inside, although a lot of that depends on how you manage it. <coughs> Nick, are we ready to switch over? Okay. So 
Um, I will just say at this point that we, we are a little conflicted in sharing about market gardening because as my wife shared, you know, we kind of started out doing everything wrong and um, we want to help you avoid the mistakes we made. But at the same time, that was such a rich time for us spiritually and we grew so much in our faith in the Lord that we hate to think of people not going through hard times because um, it drew us so close to the Lord. But I think the reality is you're probably, even with all the resources we're going to be sharing today, you're probably still going to have some struggles. And so we trust that the Lord will teach you what he wants you to learn through that as well. So, you know, we're going to be focusing some on business. And right now with this travel log, <coughs> we're going to talk quite a bit about money. And again, I... I I'm a little conflicted on that because I don't think that giving you dollar amounts is the best way to measure success. I think there's a lot more to it than that. So I just want you to keep that in mind as I throw out numbers of these farms we visited. Um, we're not suggesting that that should be your goal to make that kind of money. I don't think you need to make that kind of money. Um, but again, I'm trying to shatter this myth that I still hear a lot of Adventists saying, oh yeah, that'd be nice, but you know, you can't make a living doing that. That's just not true. You can. And we're not the best example. You know, we're, we're still, because we're trying to focus um, on ministry, we feel that God called us to ministry and not to business. He, he was pretty clear with us that he, he told us, you know, you focus on serving and I'll make sure the finances are taken care of. So that's really been our focus. We're not business people, but the Lord has blessed. And, and I will just tell you that currently um, we're grossing between 130 and 140,000 a year. And again, that's gross. Um, most small farms are netting um, 40 to 50 percent of gross. Um, and, you know, and we're we're trying to pay our kids. And so, you know, the money goes. But anyway, that gives you a little idea. And then we'll talk about some of these other farms. <coughs> and this is going to be going to be kind of a whirlwind tour. I think I'm going to move over here. We visited in, in a week, we visited, I think it was eight different farms. And this was our first stop, Dan and, and Allie Haney, Shenandoah Seasonal up in uh, the Shenandoah Valley in, in Virginia. They've only been doing it for, um, I think this was their third year. Uh, my boys, I was hoping, oh, they're back there. Okay. Um, do you remember how many years? They, I think it was three. Um, 
they they're going to have to be otherwise occupied and we didn't get this organized well enough for them to be sharing like I had wanted them to but anyway the the main thing that I got from this farm was just go for it you know they had a lot of strikes against them they were leasing land it was not very good land they they had to actually truck in their water in in big tanks and they were using drip lines from the tanks so they had uh, three small hoop houses and they actually we delivered them a couple of jonathan's caterpillar tunnels um, so again and they, they did quite a bit with chickens they and one neat thing if you're interested at all in chickens that we learned from them they buy um, what do you call them pullets in the spring that were ready to lay I think they pay ten dollars a piece and then they keep them all summer and then sell them in the fall for five dollars and so um, you know they they're not having to take care of them through the winter which is really nice and uh, you know you can make a lot more than five dollars on eggs through the summer um, eggs you know of course some people may not be comfortable with that and we've kind of we've kind of um, gone back and forth with it but I guess we're to the place where we say you know if people are going to eat eggs we'd rather them eat really healthy eggs you know free range and so my son Joshua does do some eggs some some poultry so this is just a picture of some of their fields um, their their beds <clears throat> so again it was it was more going there just taught me that you know if you just go for it you can they were making between a hundred and a hundred and twenty thousand a year on um, and, you know this was three years in and this was on the the land was quite sloped and um, like I say just a lot of strikes against them but it just was reinforcing to me that you know a lot of it is just gumption and just doing it so next from there we we kind of this was a little bit um, off the beaten track but we went to Brooklyn Grange and probably many of you have seen pictures of of you know downtown New York with with these um, gardens on the roof of these buildings they actually have over two acres of gardens on two different rooftops and um, they're making about six dollars a square foot <coughs> on these rooftops so two acres is you know 80,000 square feet approximately um, very interesting you know of course it wasn't our idea of of gardening but we enjoyed going there they, they do a lot with microgreens that's something we saw over and over at these farms a lot of microgreens going on there's there's good money to be made there um, more microgreens this was the view from their garden looking down <laughs> But it, it was really neat to see this piece of, of green in the city. You know, we, that's looking over to Manhattan. And um, 
quite a view of a city, but to just see this little bit of, of green space there was really fun. And, and there were chefs coming up the elevator while we were there, you know, from local restaurants coming up to see, hey, what do you got this week? You know, we want to do a special on this. And so it, it, again, we're not advocating urban gardening, but I think there's, um, there's a place for it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. This was their washing area and they would wash it and then put it in the tub <coughs> there to mix it. You see the washing machine there. That's something I think every farm we went to has a modified washing machine for spinning your salad greens. It's the best thing out there right now, although Jonathan's working on trying to develop a, a, a dedicated commercial but you just take a washing machine and just rip out the electronics and do a simple on-off switch to the spin cycle. And we've done it, and it's great. Here's uh, Ben Flanner, who's the main guy in charge of Brooklyn Grange and one of his farmers. Now, from there, you know, we, we spent, I don't know, three hours in the city and that was about three hours too much um, we headed out of out of new york and went upstate this this is actually in the um, catskill mountains of new york um, this farm blew us away this is called never sink farm Never sink, it's actually, it's kind of a neat name for a farm, but the reason it's named that is because it's on the Never Sink River and near the town of Never Sink. So um, that's where they got the name. But this guy, Connor Crickmore, here he is looking at Jonathan's harvester. He, one thing I'll say about him that, that's really impressive to me, he is willing to, um, invest in anything that he thinks is going to make his farm more profitable so he invests the money and if he likes it he keeps it if he doesn't he tosses it you know he he is really into um hey what is going to make my farm more efficient and and a good illustration of this is that he bought two of the first 10 harvesters that Jonathan sold. The, for those of you who don't know, this, that green thing is, is called the Quick Cut Greens Harvester. It's, my son um, manufactures those, and it's, it's actually revolutionizing small farms. Um, but anyway, he bought two of the very first ones that were ever made, and he's been using them ever since. And then he bought a new one from us here just to have the latest model. <coughs> but Connor Crickmore is earning over $400,000 on an acre and a half. And he believes he can get it up to 500000 this is with no tractor. He doesn't even own a tractor. And he has a BCS, but he doesn't use it. So it's all hand tools. 
an acre and a half, and um, it's unbelievable. It's it's the the most um, the most perfect farm we've ever been to. You had to look really really hard to find weeds. He's got two movable hoop houses. Um, you can see the track there. I, I probably went too fast. He, it's just immaculate. You won't find a rock or a weed. Well, you have to look really hard to find a weed in his farm. Um, here he is discussing some of his tools. We're, I've got a short video clip of this, this thing in front here, this orange thing is a paper pot transplanter. Have any of you seen or heard of those? That is really um, revolutionizing a lot of small farms. He's using it quite a bit. It's, it's kind of expensive. It, I mean, it's actually ridiculously expensive. That, that flimsy little thing there costs like over $1,000. And then you have to buy these special paper pots but this is, this is um, stuff I'm trying to remember. Do you remember what that was, boys? How many people <laughs> does he have working? Um, when we were there, he only had two, two helping him. But I think maybe in, in the, the busiest season, he may have four besides his wife. He's got twins that are like, three or four years old so his wife's kind of otherwise occupied but this guy came straight out of the city six years ago and in six years from he was like a computer programmer although other places I've read something about chef but anyway what he told us he was in computer programming so in six years he's taken raw land and made this incredibly productive farm. Okay, here's a video. Now, how am I gonna do that? Is, can you press the button for the video? This is how a paper pot transplanter works. So you just pull it along like that and you can imagine that's his little daughter there, but um, you can you can transplant hundreds of transplants per minute by yourself. So if you think about even if you're fast transplanting by hand, you know this this um, can really really speed things up. It's called a paper pot transplanter. They came out of Japan. Johnny sells them now. We're going to talk more about resources later on because I feel like the best thing I can do for you all is point you in the right direction of resources. Okay. There we go. This is a little 12-inch um, wide flame weeder that he he manufactured, kind of modified, and he does his aisles with that, um, which is kind of neat. He's quite an innovator. Uh-oh, what's going on? Oh, no. Ah, somebody help me. Stop it. 
Sorry, this is really awkward. Those are some amazing Brussels sprouts right there. Can you go back? We kind of went through a lot of pictures there. Yeah, just keep going back. This is all Elliot Coleman's farm. Keep going. Oh, wait. No, we're going the wrong way here. This is going forward. Well, there's the slideshow. You just saw it, so... Yeah, no, sorry about that. I didn't see we were going the wrong way until... Can you just... Yeah, I, I have a very strained relationship with technology. So anyway, what else can I tell you about Connor Crickmore? <coughs> this is another great example to me of his farm. He had, he had a bunch of raspberries in full bearing. You know, this was the end of September. And they were, I mean, they were well loaded. He said, uh, we're not even picking them. Can't make enough money on them. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, man, raspberries, you know, this is great. But he doesn't, he doesn't sell anything that can't make him at least $100 an hour in harvest and washing. You know, po well, they call it pick, pack, and wash, but it's really pick, wash, and pack. So that's the way he, he kind of judges things. If he can't make $100 an hour doing that part, then um, he, doesn't, he just abandons the crop. He's just super... Okay, let's see if this is going to work now. To all combined. So, you know, so for example, radishes. Um, you know, harvesting them, bunching them, washing them, getting them ready for market. Um, you know, he's got a, he, he figures, you know, I can do this many bunches in an hour and I can sell them for this much and it's got to be at least $100 an hour. Now, you know, again, granted, he's got probably the highest end market in the country you know, he's selling at a couple farmers markets in Westchester County, which if you know that area, that's a very upscale suburb of New York City. And then the other beautiful thing is he sells to, to restaurants, high-end restaurants in New York, but another farmer takes it in. He's a couple hours out of New York, so he doesn't have to commute into New York, which is amazing. Um, Okay, he, he's very um, immaculate and very particular. And so he, he um, marks the corners of all his beds with these wooden surveyor stakes. And he runs string and, you know, 
does his seeding and everything to the string, which a lot of other growers will tell you, and, and there's truth to it that, you know, that's not making you money, getting your rows straight. But, um, you know, again, I think, you know, Mrs. White talks about our gardens and our farms being an object lesson of what the Lord wants to do in our hearts. So I think it's important for our farms to look neat and orderly and weed free. You know, we're, we're not there yet, but we're working on it. Okay, this is just some of his beds. I think that, I'm not sure what that was, maybe turnips. But the next picture, I think, you know, he says people come there and they say, you're so lucky that you don't have rocks. Oh no, it's going again. Hey, can you stop it? I, is there another clicker? Okay, go back a little further. Almost. There we go. You may, maybe you're just going to have to do it back there. I'll just, so next picture. So this is one of his beds. He said, we make our own luck around here. Um, you know, you can imagine all that rock out of one bed. Um, so the point is, the first few years, they, they really worked hard. But the beauty is now, he's working five days a week. He's taking two days off and quitting at five o'clock in the afternoon. It's unbelievable, you know, that they have gotten their systems down to the point that they are working eight-hour days, five days a week. Incredible. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, we're going to have to hurry. So these are just more pictures of his farm. Keep going. This is some lettuce. He just this, That was an example of a, a hoop house that he just pulled out his summer crops and... Um, you know, being movable, he, he moved it over the, the lettuce there. This was just kind of a neat way to trellis um, tea posts with just a, a PVC tea on top and then your, your electrical conduit. Um, I think the next picture, yeah, he had some, some peas growing there. They had a couple of these, these electric golf carts that they used, he said they used to have four wheelers, but the, the apprentices would, um, they drove too fast. So these don't drive so fast. This is one of his big greenhouses, just immaculate. Okay, let's keep going. He had a couple of these greens machines. Now this is a commercial spinner, but they're like $3,000 a piece. And people who've used them compared to a um, washing machine say a washing machine does a better job um, and this was a, a root crop cleaner you just bunch you know you have your carrots or whatever and you run them through that spins 
So he's investing a lot of money. You know, he's making a lot of money, but he's investing a lot. Let's keep going. Oh, this is, this is something I haven't seen anywhere else. You know, Johnny sells a big bed roller um, that's kind of awkward to carry around, but this is, he gets this off um, Amazon. It's for concrete work, anybody who's worked with concrete. But it's something he can carry with one hand. He uses the four-row cedar. So he carries that with one hand and this roller with the other. He rolls his beds before and after seating them with this. Okay, this I thought was neat because the dark area that's just been watered, that morning he harvested arugula off of that. And it's now replanted. I think it was in spinach. So his beds are never empty for more than a few hours. That's how intensive he is. Very organized with his tools. Um, okay, let's just keep going. <coughs> this was his, his starter house. And can we go back one picture? Okay, notice that these, these tables roll back and forth. So you can make your aisle where you need to but then you can push them together. So it's, it's a much more efficient way to um, use your space. You just have one aisle that can move. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, and so he, it's very efficient. He's got the overhead hose for watering. And then I think the next picture also shows, now this is something we have, which we really love a trolley in, a, in your greenhouse, your starter house for moving trays around, you know, rather than carrying two by hand, you can, ours, you can put 12 on and it, it saves a lot of time. You know, it's, it's the little efficiencies that start making you really profitable. Okay, let's keep going. We're gonna run out of time. This was his delivery vehicle and he had this ramp um, screwed on there, you know, it was a option. He had two Mercedes-Benz um, delivery vans um, like this. These are, they're neat because they, it's a five-seater and then it has the room in the back for, so it's kind of a combination, um, you know, most delivery vehicles are just like a two-seater. But anyway, a lot of farms, a lot of these small farms had these Mercedes vans. Okay, and this is actually just a few pictures of Pleasant Valley Farm in Argyle, New York, the Arnolds. They're doing amazing things, but it, they're doing like five acres. So it was a little big for our liking. Um, but I wanted to, this is a video. Can you play this? This is called a bubbler, and this is the way they're washing greens now. You just uh, dump them in there, and it, it's gentle. Run it one more time. It, it gently stirs the greens around, and the dirt drops off. Um, and, and basically, I'll show you a picture later on at JM's farm of of how it's made, you know, with the PVC pipe, but it's just like a, a hot tub, you know, air blower, whatever. 
Okay, so this is, they had amazing brassicas. I mean, we can't do anything like that in Tennessee. You know, this is upstate New York. Um, but we didn't spend a lot of time there just because it wasn't the model we were really looking for. You know, we liked the acre and a half model. And this is Elliot Coleman's farm. And I'm sure most of you have heard of him if you haven't you need to he's kind of the <clears throat> the father or grandfather of the small farm movement he does quite a bit with chickens and um, these were some some winter kale a variety if you want to know i can i have it written down afterwards i don't remember it off the top of my head but he was able to harvest some kale keeps growing through the winter the brassica napus strain whereas the brassica oleraceae which is like your standard curly kale doesn't keep growing so well in the winter napus n-a-p-u-s the russian kales we've got somebody from russia red and white russian and this was some variation of that this was a neat tool that he was generous enough to give us one of his prototypes, but I think this is gonna be in Johnny's. It's, it's a new wire weeder and we really like it, but it's got interchangeable heads, just a simple kind of bolt, you know, different size heads. So you can have one tool with multiple sized heads and it works really well on nice, nicely prepared soil. He's, you know, he's still of the, he's not just about making money because this is, um, you know what this is? Artichokes. Um, you can't make a lot of money on artichokes, but, you know, he's, he, he likes growing these different things. He had the best transplants, and this is a plug for soil blocks. Though a lot of you know we're, old school we still use soil blocks they're not the most efficient way to do transplants but i i didn't see any other farm with transplants that look like this um, and so to me it was just a reminder that soil blocks i think make the healthiest transplants because they all use the same mix they're using vermont compost Fort V, I think it's called, mix, potting mix, leeks. Okay, let's keep going. Um, this was some overwintered onions, carrots. His farm is just, you know, he's such an innovator. He's like a little kid. When you go there, he's wanting to show you all his latest things he's been fooling with and He's got his discard pile outside his shop. I said, this is like Thomas Edison. Um, so this is some intensive, again, this is the end of September, 1st of October. This is Maine, so it kind of gives you an idea of, of where he's at there. His wife is doing a lot of flowers this year. Um, keep going if you get growing for market magazine the latest issue she has an article she had a whole hoop house full of dahlias it was amazing incredible <clears throat> so from there we went up to quebec 
And um, Jonathan was showing this microgreens um, operation, uh, a new harvester he had come up with for microgreens. So they were doing it on a fairly large scale. This is a video you can, it's not one of the best videos. But we got, so we were doing, what was it, 13 or 17 trays a minute, something like that. We had it, they were quite impressed. They're, they are anxious to order one. This was just the prototype. Then from there, we went to, to JM's farm. Have you all heard of Jean Martin Fortier? If you haven't, he's another one you need to know about. He's written a book called The Market Gardener. This is the closest thing that is out there, in my opinion, on a handbook for small-scale agriculture. He gets into lots of detail um, and is quite amazing. He's, oh, I, I should back up and say, Elliot Coleman is, keeps experimenting with his seasons and he does, he, he was doing year round and making about 150,000 off an acre and a half. But, you know, having like six employees, so he was only netting like 30,000. And he said, you know, that's too much work for that. And so now they're, they're, they're growing, or I should say they're marketing October through June and doing kind of the off season when stuff isn't growing so fast, <coughs> they can basically do it with two people. And they're, they're grossing around 100,000, but netting 60-some thousand. So even though they're not making as much, because their labor costs are lower, they're able to, um, to come away with more. And so they were excited about that. Okay, so this, we're, we're going to kind of go through this quick. JM, in the last couple of years, is working for a Canadian billionaire and running a farm, trying to, to scale up his model. His model, for those of you who haven't read the book, is an acre and a half. And um, he's, he's grossing right around 150000 but again, doing it very, um, you know, five days a week, very balanced, I would say. And so, you know, this book came out, The Market Gardener, and got a lot of people excited about market gardening, small farming. You know, wow, you know, we can, and, and he's, he's grossing, I mean, he's netting almost half of that, around 70000 for he and his wife. Um, off an acre and a half. But this is, is scaling up, and so a lot of this, this guy, this billionaire, you know, money is not an issue, obviously, and so this is, there's a lot of high-tech stuff that I wouldn't, um, wouldn't fool with, but this, we really like this um, setup for irrigation. It's wobblers. All the farms we went to are using Senninger wobblers. And um, you've got these stakes and then they just um, plug in to your, your main line. You just use a drip um, punch 
punch a hole and then there's a little sleeve that stays in there and then it it pops into that so you can easily move it um, and so we're gonna I hope it's gonna work for us this next year using that system <coughs> a lot cheaper than buying sprinkler stands and stuff here we are in one of his fields of <coughs> that was one a mustard carrots lots of carrots um, these hoop houses well, they weren't hoop houses, they were greenhouses. I think, you know, like 50,000 a piece or something, just way overkill. But growing lots of lettuce, eggplant, five feet, six feet tall. It was quite amazing. Um, okay, let's keep going, Joshua. Now, here's, wait, we want to see that bubbler. This is his bubbler. Um, just simple PVC pipe with a bunch of holes drilled in it. And like I say, you hook it up to a, some kind of air pump. And that's the way everybody's going. Um, you know, it, it eliminates the triple washing and handling it so much. You just dump it in there, let it bubble a while, skim it off, put it in your spinner, and you're good to go. Okay. We got, he's done a lot with farmscaping. He's got 50, 40 by 100 foot plots. So that's five acres of intensive growing. But between each plot was this areas with natural farmscaping. Oh, hey, this is looking good. And um, yeah, just he's got tarps for each of his sections so he doesn't have to move tarps around, silage tarps. Maybe some of you don't know about those. Um, yeah, I, don't, I won't talk about them right now, but it's a great way to manage weeds as well as some other things. Okay, let's keep going. He, he uses 18-inch pathways, so he can't use a standard quick hoop. So he... Um, he combines two pieces of, of metal conduit and makes them a little wider. And then he also runs the string, as you can see there, to give some, some added stability and is doing a lot with those. He does an amazing job with, these are all heirloom um, tomatoes. Now, the last farm we visited, we, we went from, from Quebec over and down through Indiana and went to Ben Hartman's farm, Goshen, Indiana. The Lean Farm, that's another book. If you haven't heard of it, this is a great book for market gardeners. It's called The Lean Farm and it's subtitled How to Minimize Waste, Increase Efficiency, and Maximize Value and Profits with Less Work. That ought to sell it to you right there. Um, these books, we will add Agra's selling in the back. So if you want to get any of these, um, we have them on site, all the books we recommend. Okay, I know we're right about out of time. Now, Ben is using a little different system, more traditional, but this was a neat twist. He's got these little PVC things with fish netting in it. And he puts one on the bottom 
and then dumps his greens in and then puts another one on top so then he can just lift them out put them in the next sink you know do a few rinses like that and then he dumps them next slide appreciate joshua you do he dumps them he's kind of manuf or made this little setup he's got these big bins underneath with bunches of holes drilled in it so he can just dump it in there and then take that bin and put it in his washing machine and spin it and then he's showing us here he actually uses a heat sealer you know he f they weigh the greens and seal the packet with a heat sealer and he feels like that's faster than twisty ties or whatever um, and this is some of his lean systems that you you know pictures of what a place is supposed to look like so an apprentice knows without having to go through you need to do this and this and this this is what it's supposed to look like at the end of the day very efficient again um, you know this is another simple example this is for root washing they decided, hey, let's not have legs because legs on a table, you got to clean around, you know. So they just suspended it, and it's so much easier to clean up afterwards. Okay, we gotta, we're out of time. You know, again, everything organized. He's big into paper pot transplanting. In fact, he's transplanting salad mix with his paper pot transplanter he's basically gone totally to to using the paper pot and he is doing he's got two young boys he's working 30 hours a week on the farm he's got one helper that comes in a couple afternoons a week i think he's making about um between 90 and 100,000 30 hours a week on on it's less than an acre between a half acre and um, an acre <coughs> and you know netting over 50% because his overhead is low these are some of his beds the other unique thing with Ben is he uses a tractor a little Kubota tractor um, with with the wheels on a 30 inch spacing so he's got his same 30 inch beds 12 inch pathways but he's mechanized it which is really um, I think going to be a wave of the future some kale that had been growing all summer tomatoes here's his undercutter bar he said this is the best tool on his farm he runs that down a bed to loosen his carrots or beets, radishes, any kind of root crop, garlic, um, and you know, just loosens the soil, runs under it, and makes it really simple to harvest. Okay, I think that's about it. Is that it, Joshua? Okay. Well, we did pretty good. So, again, this was a quick overview, but just showing you some of the innovations that are going on in small farming. Just to kind of cap, recap, these are all, you know, acre and a half or less. They're all, you know, making at least $100,000 per acre. 
They're focusing on salad greens is a big thing. Salanova lettuce, if you don't know about Salanova lettuce, they're all using it for lettuce mix rather than seeding baby mix. We've done it this winter and it's amazing. Um, we've gotten so many positive comments on Salanova. You can recut it multiple times. Salanova, it's only available from Johnny's. It's a little bit expensive. Um, there's a little bit of controversy over it because it's a plant-protected variety, um, which a lot of purists are having a hard time with. But the well, you know, I don't think technically you're supposed to save the seed. Um, you know, if you're doing it for home use, you could probably get away with it. But there's some exciting, High Mowing has some new lettuces coming out this year. They're calling it one cut, but I talked to them at High Mowing and they said it works the same. Basically, Salanova gives you a head of baby leaves rather than just, you know, usually lettuce, the head, the leaves get big, but it's all baby leaves. So you can cut it and you've got all this really high quality salad mix. It's, it's quite amazing. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.